then he made us. To live in paradise until Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate the forbidden fruit. And with one choice, they learned both good and evil. All right, who's ready for Genesis today? Awesome. Take out your Bibles. Turn to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 today as we continue our series we kicked off last week called Beginnings, Stories in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. It's probably still on page 1 or 2 of your Bible if you need any help finding your way there this morning. Um, if you were not able to be here last week, I'd really encourage you to go online and, and watch week 1. How many of y'all that, that were here last week and, so, and were here for week 1, you would encourage people to go back and listen to week 1? Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate, um, I, I probably had more emails and Facebook posts to me last week than any message I've ever done here at Orchard Church. And here's the good news, they were all positive. All of them. I had no, ne- so if you were just, you've been delaying to send the negative one, just, just don't, please. It was all positive, and I think every one of them was from women, so that was even encouraging. If you were here for the message, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, it turns out that you guys enjoy hearing the word naked at church a lot more than I realized. <laughs> so, if you missed week one, you need to, to check that out, because uh, it, was, it was pretty fun last week. Well, last week, let me kind of catch you up where we're at in Genesis chapter 3, as we're just kind of beginning here in the Bible. Today, we're going to talk about trouble in paradise, and when we left our lovely couple, Adam and Eve, last week, they they were in this incredible, beautiful paradise garden. I mean, the sun is shining. It's 72 degrees out. They're enjoying all this incredible fruit. They're enjoying fellowship with God, fellowship and intimacy with each other. They've just had this awesome wedding. I mean, Adam's singing her love songs. I mean, they're naked. The R&B is playing. I mean, everything is just great. And now in chapter 3, the bottom falls out. I mean, everything goes the opposite direction as we see trouble in paradise take place. And and I want to remind you guys again what I told you last week. At this point, Adam and Eve's Bible that God had given them had only two verses in it. That's it. One was something they should do. One was something they shouldn't do. They only had two verses in their Bible. One was be fruitful and multiply. Adam and Eve were like, yes, okay, especially Adam. He was like, yeah, right. And I'm giving you just shades of last week, okay? We're just kind of shades of it. And then that was the one, be fruitful and multiply. The other one was something not to do. They said, be fruitful and multiply, God said, and don't jack with the tree. Don't, Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was it. I don't know about you guys, but if we only had two verses in our Bible, you think we could handle two verses? You would think we could. You'd think that Adam and Eve could, but as we're going to see today, they couldn't. Now, let me ask you this question by raise of hands. How many of you guys ever have wondered why there are hurts, habits, hang-ups in people's lives? You ever wondered that? Raise your hand. You ever wondered that? How many, guys, uh, how many would raise your hand to this? How many of you guys have ever wondered why life sometimes seems so unfair? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered why is there so much sickness? Why is there so much disease? Why are there tragedies that take place in people's lives or in our lives? Why is there war? Why is there death? If you've ever wondered any of those questions, and we all have, 
We're going to get some answers today because it all begins in Genesis chapter 3. If Genesis chapter 3 didn't take place, we wouldn't have any of those things. We would continue in this paradise, perfect, wonderful, sinless environment that God intended for us to be a part of. But because of the choice of Adam and Eve, the bottom falls out and there's trouble in paradise. And it all begins in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is a pivotal chapter in the entire Bible. If you don't understand chapter 3 of Genesis, it's going to be difficult to understand the rest of the stories and the themes of Scripture all the way to the book of Revelation. And really what God is trying to do through mankind, through the Messiah, through Jesus, all those things. When I, when I first was getting ready to do chapter 3, I was planning to do it all in one week, this week. And then as I got into this, there's just too much here. We don't want to rush through one of the most pivotal chapters in the Bible. So I'm just going to tell you right now, we're going to slow it down. We're going to get about half of it this week. And this is my way to get you guys to come back next week as well because we're going to finish it next week. Because we don't want to, you see, our goal is not to get through the Bible. Our, our goal is that the Bible gets through us. Amen. So we're just going to slow it down a little bit, and then I don't want you guys to be here, you know, all day, so we're going to slow it down on this very pivotal uh, event in the Bible. And really, this is how we got in to the mess we're in as fallen humans and sin, but it's also, as we get to the end of chapter 3, how to get out of it. And what we're going to see in chapter 3 is a progression of events that take place, and we're going to begin that pro progression uh, today. Now, many people and many scholars have said when you go to Genesis chapter 3, they call Genesis chapter 3 the account of original sin. Have you ever heard that say yes? This is the account of original sin. But I, I don't think that's completely true. I think it's the account of original sin as far as human beings are speaking, but it's not the account of original sin. And we don't have time, we could spend a whole week or two on this, but I, I just want to kind of set the context that you understand this because there's going to be this character that shows up in Genesis chapter 3 who's trying to get Adam and Eve to sin and do evil. And, and this is not somebody that God sent to do this. So where did this person, where did this character come from? And you might jot this down, I think I maybe even put it in your notes. Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28. If you'll take some time maybe this week and read those chapters, you'll read the account of when a, an angelic being that was created by God, his name was Lucifer. If you ever heard the name Lucifer, say yes. It means light bearer. He was an angelic being that was the worship leader created by God to lead all the other angels in heaven to worship and glorify the one true God. And he did that for a long period of time. We don't know how long, but we know he did that. And he was leading all these beings, you know, to worship and, and praise and glorify God until one day this angelic being named Lucifer, is his name in eternity past, he, he realized, you know, I'm the worship leader. And so as I'm leading them to worship God, their first look at me and then I'm leading to worship God you know I'd rather they just look at me I'd rather them just worship me As a matter of fact I'd like to be God I don't I don't I don't want there just to just be one God I, I want to be God and because he wanted to be God and he was lifted up with pride you can read about those those things in the, that chapter God kicked him out of heaven a third of the angels went with him and we now know him today as the devil Satan we, we know him as the, the wicked one, the evil one. And we know those fallen angels, they're called what? Demons. And that is really where the original sin took place and the fall uh, of, of Lucifer from heaven. And now God has created these perfect beings, Adam and Eve, and he's placed them in a garden. And, and everything is supposed to be perfect as long as they don't mess with this one tree. And now this evil one, Satan, is going to show up and try to mess up God's plan 
once again. So you got the context? So let's jump in to Genesis chapter 3. And, and the first thing we see of the progression of events is this, the strategy. And I want you to just keep this in your mind. What Satan wanted was to be God. He wanted to be God, and now he's going to offer that same thing and same lie to Adam and Eve, our couple in the garden. And we begin with the strategy of Satan. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we'll read verse 1 through 5, and I'll make some comments. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, to Eve, has God indeed said, did God really say, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, No, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, which would be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, is that what God said? No. She only got it part right. God said, Don't eat of the tree. He never said, Don't touch it. And I just a little commentary here. This is the first sign of legalism in the Bible. Trying to help God out with a little extra rules here. And that's not what God said. She was confused. God just said, don't eat it. She said, or touch it. She added that in. And then the serpent said to the woman, come on. You're not going to surely die. You're not going to surely die. For God knows. Let me, let me tell you what God really meant by what he said. Verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like who, church? You'll be like God. You'll be like a God, knowing good and knowing evil. And we see the strategy in these first five verses of Satan to get Adam and Eve to fall. And, and what, did, what did Satan do? First of all, you have this in your notes. He disguised himself. In verse 1, he didn't show up. Listen, so many times when we think of the devil, we think of this guy in a red suit, horns, long tail, pitchfork. He never shows up like that. You never see him like that in the Bible. He always shows up, as, as 2 Corinthians says, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said he always transforms himself into an angel of what? Of light. He tries to deceive people. He tries to fool people. He tries to trick people. So he doesn't show up in pitchfork and say, hey, I'm Satan. No, he shows up and he, he, he comes inside of this animal that God had created, this, this beast. Now in your Bible, it says serpent. And we always think of it as a snake. But I want to challenge you to think of it a little bit differently uh, this morning in the context of Scripture. Because this word serpent, it comes from the Hebrew word nakash. And it can mean snake, but it can also mean dragon or reptile. I believe that when Satan first showed up, he probably was not a snake yet. He was probably some kind of dragon. He was probably some kind of reptile, you know, like a kimono dragon, something like that. I believe that because as we're going to see in a moment, God, when he curses him, he takes his legs away and now he has to crawl on his belly. Meaning before he probably had legs and he walked around. He was probably a very beautiful, created creature of God. Another reason I don't think that he was a snake at first is because you could check it out in Revelation chapter 12 and chapter 20. God refers to him as Satan, that old snake, that old dragon. He refers to him in those kind of language. And so either way, he, he incarnates, he comes inside of this creature. Just like as you see in the New Testament, Satan embodied a man named Judas and took over him he takes over a beast and he and he comes and he starts talking to Eve now I don't know I'm just thinking if I'm Eve and some dragon starts talking to me I'm thinking red flag 
You know, Artie, that's a red flag. Why is this animal talking to me? But she buys into it. And, 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 he, and he disguises himself because he's crafty, he's sneaky, he's, he's deceitful. And, and has he changed today, church? No. He, he finds ways to, to get us to sin and, and disobey God through deceitful and crafty and sneaky and tricky ways. And he tempts us. And so the first strategy is he disguises himself. The second strategy is this. Satan questions God's word. He questions God's word. In verse 1 here, he asks that question. You know, have, did God really say this? And, and he asks, did God really tell you you couldn't eat of all the trees of the garden? Now even that he misquotes God's word because in chapter 2 verse 16, what God said is, you can eat freely of all the trees of the garden except this one. Satan comes along saying, did God really tell you you couldn't eat of all the trees of the garden? See, he's already twisting the scriptures. And he's getting her to question what God has said. And in 6,000 or so years of what I believe to be human history, Satan has not changed his tactics and strategy. If he can get us to question what this book says, he knows he can get us to disobey God. That, that, that's why we ought not question the word of God. And what, what, he, what he's asking them to do is to consider this. You know, he, he's saying, you know, is God holding out on you? Is God keeping something from you? You know, why, why does God not want you to eat from this one tree? And God gives us, as we talked about last week, incredible liberty and freedom with only minor restrictions. And he does that to protect us, amen? Because he loves us. Because God knew the day they ate of that, they were going to die, just like what, what God said. You know, this is good parenting. Good parents understand, you don't, you don't need to make hundreds and thousands of rules. You know, give your kids as much freedom as you possibly can. But you know, you have a few rules because you love them and you want to protect them. You know, like don't touch the stove, don't run with the scissors, don't drink out of the toilet. Those are just some really good basic parental rules. Other than that, have a good time. You know, don't beat your sister, you know, things like that. But Satan comes along and he gets Adam and Eve to thinking and believing God's holding out on you guys. God's holding out on you. He's a killjoy. He didn't want you to have any fun. He didn't want you to enjoy any life. There's something about that tree that he doesn't want you to enjoy that. And he questions God's word. And you know what else he's questioning? He's questioning God's goodness, isn't he? Do you see that? He's saying, if he's such a good and loving God, why wouldn't he let you eat of, eat of that tree? And that's what he's, what he's asking in, in verse 5. You know, God knows. No, here's why God doesn't want you to eat that tree. He knows that in the day you eat, you'll, your eyes will be open. You'll be like a God. You'll be like him and you'll know good and evil. And, and you know, Satan is doing what a lot of people, how, how a lot of people view Christianity today. They, they see Christianity as just a list of don'ts. You know, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Rather than all the wonderful blessings and pleasures of things God says we can do, amen? Satan wants us to look at the things that we can't do. And, that, and that's exactly what he's doing with Adam and Eve here. And, and he wants them to question God's word and what he has said. Th this is why at Orchard Church, this book takes center stage every week. It's not about what I have to say or my message. It's about what this book says. Amen? That's why we go through books of the Bible. And that's why we go chapter by chapter and verse by verse and story by story. Because we want you to know what God's word says. Because we know there's still an enemy today named Satan. That what he wants to do is get you to be tricked up and deceived and confused by what this book says. You need to know what this book says. Amen? And so we know that if we open it and we go verse by verse and chapter by chapter and story by story. It'll build the word of God into your lives. So that when anyone else comes along... 
or, or Satan uses anything, whether it's a person or another religion or whatever it is, to deceive you, you'll go, whoa, wait a minute, that's not what my Bible says. That's not what God has said, and you'll be aware of that. That's why discipleship is so important and crucial and foundational here at Orchard Church. Because you know what happens in discipleship? When, when one man meets with another man for six, nine months, a year, or another lady meets with another lady, and they go through the Word of God, you get grounded in the Word of God. You know what it says. You understand the, the basic, fundamental teachings of the Bible. And when you know the real thing and the counterfeit comes along, the counterfeit sticks out like a sore thumb. Are you with me? Say yes. And that, that is why it is so important we know God's word. It's interesting that Adam, God gave the commands about the tree to Adam. We saw that last week. He didn't give it to Eve. It was Adam's responsibility to pass it on to Eve. Now, either Eve wasn't paying attention and she was sleeping through the message that day, or Adam wasn't a good discipler, or they just decided to dis disregard God's word. Because what Satan is saying is in direct opposition to what God's word had said. So Satan's strategy, he disguises himself to be tricky. He questions, gets them to question God's word. And then he just comes right out and he denies God's word. You have that in your note. Note, Satan denied God's word. Look at verse 4. He directly says the opposite of what God says. He says, the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. God said, you, the day you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely what, church? You'll surely die. And Satan comes along and says, you will not surely die. The du a direct contradiction to what God has said. Because God said you would surely die. Now, here's the deal. Parents, you understand this. You have two kids. What, they come in. One has one story. The other one has an exact opposite story. What do you know by that? Someone is lying. Someone in the garden is lying. Either what God said wasn't true or what Satan is saying isn't true. They can't both be true because they're directly in opposition to each other. You know what Jesus tells us in John 8, 44? That Satan is the father and originator of lies. He's a, he was a liar from the beginning. His native language is lying. I don't know about you guys, but I want to take Jesus' word for that. Amen? Man, that, that, would, that would call for at least one amen. If you're going to trust Jesus or a talking serpent, you know, what's it going to be? I'm going to trust Jesus, and he says he's a liar, and the first lie we see is right here. Now, Adam and Eve have a choice to make. What are they going to believe? Who are they going to believe? Are they going to believe God, or are they going to believe Satan? And so do we. We have a choice to make every day of our lives. We know so many times what God's word says. But we also know what we feel. We, know what, we hear what somebody else is saying. It sounds good, looks good, might feel good. And we have, we have a decision. Who am I going to believe? Who am I going to trust? Am I going to do it God's way? Or am I going to do it my way? Am I going to do what society says? Or am I going to do what God's word says? You know, am I going to let the times and the culture change what I believe about God's word? Or am I going to stay firm to God's word? Just like Adam and Eve had a major decision and choice to make, we have a major decision and choice to make every day of our lives. 99 times out of 10, or not out of 10, 99 times out of 100. <laughs> How's that math compute? 99. 99 times out of 100. When I'm talking to people and they come for advice or counsel and they're involved in something that doesn't line up with the scriptures, 
And I ask them, well, what do you think? What does God's word say? 99 times out of 100, they know what God is saying in their heart. They know what God has said in, in, in his word. They just have to make a choice. And they have to make a decision. What am I going to believe? And what am I going to act upon? And, and here was the big problem. Here was the biggest lie of all. In verse 5, Satan said, God doesn't want you to eat that tree because the day you eat of it, he knows you're going to be like God. You're going to be like a God. You see, now that's appealing. Ooh, that sounds good. We get to be a God? We get to be like God? Now, now here's the deal. We saw this last week. Adam and Eve should have said, wait a minute. We're already like God. Adam and Eve were made in the image and likeness of who, church? God. They already had what Satan is saying that they could have. They, were already, they weren't God, but they were made in the image and likeness of God. And he's saying, oh, you can be, be more like him if you'll do this. You know, you, you can be, be more like God. This is exactly what got Satan into trouble in the first place. He was at Lucifer in heaven, and he decided, I, want, I don't want people just to worship God. I want to be God. I want to be like God. That was what caused his downfall, and now it's the same strategy that he's bringing to Adam and Eve. It's the same lie that he's bringing to Adam and Eve, that you can be a God. But let's not forget what Isaiah 44, 6 says. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. God says this, I am the first, and I am the last, and besides me, there is no God. I mean, that's pretty clear. That's it right there. So what Satan is saying is not true. And, and, and just so you guys know how, you say, well, okay, that was like 6,000, 7,000, whatever years ago. You know, nobody's probably saying that today, that you can be a God or you can be like God. You know, that, that probably wore off somewhere along the way. Nope. How many of y'all been watching the news just in the last couple of weeks? Have you been watching pop culture? You ever heard of a guy named Kanye West? You know, re real spiritual young man. Kanye West is coming out with an album. I believe it, it either came out this Tuesday or it's coming out next Tuesday. I think it leaked out early. And Kanye West on this new album, the album's called Yeezus. And it's making fun of the name of Jesus. And the third song on the album is I Am God. That's the title. And if you listen to the lyrics of the song, he's talking about how he's a God in our culture and how people follow him and worship him and, and he's a God. This is just as practical today as it was the day in the garden because the lie is still out there. And there are false teachings today. There are false religions today that will tell you that, you know, if you do enough things and do enough stuff and live good enough, that you one day will be a God. You'll be just like God. You'll be, you'll be one of the gods. There'll be God and there'll be some other gods. That, that's what the New Age movement is founded on. The New Age movement is, is really, they call it the New Age movement, but it's based on an old lie. The lie of Genesis chapter 3, that you can be a God. And boy, that appeals to our flesh, doesn't it? That appeals to our pride. It appealed to Adam and Eve, we can be a God. You know, and pride, we know, church, is a sin. Can I have an amen? amen. Pride is a sin. I mean, it, pr pride, the middle letter of pride is I. Pride is what caused Satan to fall, as you're going to see in a moment. It's the pride is what called, caused Adam and Eve to fall, and pride is what gets us in trouble today. Even when we cloak it in phrases like self-esteem, it's still pride. 
And our culture today, listen, this is so practical, church, because we live in a culture today that you can hear people build you up and your pride by saying things like, you know, you just need to love yourself more. You need to esteem yourself. If you would just self-actualize your potential, imagine all you could be and what you could do for yourself and everything you need, it's inside of you. And you can love yourself. You can heal yourself. You can save yourself. You can be proud. You can be strong. You can be just like Satan. They don't tell you that part. They leave that out. But it's the same message. It's the same message, church. In America, here's what's sad. In America today, we tend to see humility as a vice instead of a virtue. We see it as a negative thing. When God says humility is one of the most beautiful things that you can possess... And that's where God does his best work, when we display humility. The problem so many times is we have faith in ourselves when we should be having faith in the God who created us. And the God who has a plan and a purpose for our life. And if we'll just tap into that plan, it would be incredible. If Adam and Eve would just have trusted God and listened to God and stuck with God, things would have been great. They wouldn't have messed it up for all of us. And Satan's big strategy was to get them to believe the lie that God is holding out on you. God is holding you back. You know, be your, be your own God. You know, if God doesn't provide what you want, you know, because he was like, you know, God doesn't want you to do that tree, you know, because he's holding out on you. So if, if God doesn't provide what you need or what you want, then go get it. You know, if God doesn't provide you a wife, then go get a wife. If God doesn't provide for you a husband, then go get a husband. If God doesn't provide for you enough sex, then go get some sex. If God doesn't provide for you a high or money or stuff, then go get it. And that's what people do today. And that's what gets people in trouble today. Instead of waiting on God, they listen to the same lie of Satan and say, I'm my own person, I'll make my own way. And that's exactly what gets Adam and Eve in trouble. Rather than having the attitude of the psalmist, in Psalm 1611, listen to this. It, so the psalmist says, you God will show me the path of life. I'm gonna trust your path. I'm gonna make that choice. In your presence, God, is fullness of what, church? Joy. How many of y'all would say, I would like to have fullness of joy in my life? That, that sounds really good. Fullness of joy. And, and joy is not based upon our circumstances. It's based upon what God is doing in and through our life. It's something that money can't buy. And the psalmist says, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, God, are pleasures evermore. I don't have to listen to Satan. I don't have to listen to society. I don't have to do it opposite of the word of God I can experience joy and satisfaction and fullness by doing it God's way and following God's path and God's way of my life Proverbs 10 22 I love this verse it says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and that's not just talking about money it means a rich and full life a rich marriage a rich relationship with your kids a, a rich work environment that you you're where God wants you to be it's, it's rich relationships the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and I love this and he adds no what sorrow to it aren't you thankful for that when we do it God's way there's riches there's blessings there's pleasure there's fulfillment and there's no sorrow there's no shame there's no regret but when we step outside of God's word and we choose to follow Satan in his way instead of God's way there's always sorrow at the end of the road there's always regret there's always fear there's always shame 
Oh yes, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. But when that season is over, there's sorrow, there's pain. That's what God is trying to save us from. That's what he's trying to keep us from. And so we see the strategy where Satan comes along and he lies to Adam and Eve. He disguises himself. He gets them to question God's word. He denies God's word. And now Adam and Eve have a choice. Who are we going to trust? Well, I think you know where this goes. They listen and trust the wrong person, which leads to the tragedy. The tragedy in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, John says it this way. Do we have that verse, 1 John 2, 16? Yeah. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. You know, those are the three things that cause us to sin. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Every single sin we commit falls into one or more of those three things. And you see it right here in verse 6. For what is it? She saw that the tree was good for what church? It was good for, for food. That's lust of the flesh. It will fulfill my flesh. It will taste good. And then it says, and, and that she saw that it was good for food. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the what church? Help me out. Lust of the eyes. It looked really good. It looked appealing. And then it says, and then, oh, it's, it's desirable because it's going to make me wise. It's going to make me like God. What's that called? Pride of life. It's all right here. And it runs throughout scriptures and it runs throughout our life. It's, it's Satan's three bag, you know, bag of three tricks. He's just got three tricks. I mean, if we could just figure this out, we could overcome so much sin. He always comes with us with the same three tricks. It's either, it either appeals to the lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh, or the pride of life. One, both, or all three of those. Every sin that you can think of falls into one of those three categories. I mean, this would be like a football team that only runs three plays. You know, if a football team only runs three plays, you'd think at some point the defense could stop three plays. I mean, that's it. Three plays. But, you know, I played a little bit of football when I was growing up. And you know what we learned? If, if you're a football team, you could, if you just have one play and that play keeps working and you get five to ten yards every time, you know what you do? You keep running that play until the other team figures out how to stop it. And if they can't stop it, you just keep running it. You might win a whole game on one play. Satan has three plays. That's it. At some point, we've got to wake up and go, he's only got three plays. If I can overcome these three plays, I can be victorious. Through God's Spirit leading us, it, it's, it's all right here. Now, here's what's amazing. Who, who ate of the tree first? Eve did. Who was it that Satan misled? It was Eve. And she took of the tree. But watch what the, the, it says next. She, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her... And he ate. Don't miss that. Where was Adam when all this deceiving and lying and conniving was going down? Where was Adam when she took of the fruit and put it in her mouth and ate it? He's standing right there with her watching this whole thing go down. And what does he do? Nothing. Nothing. This is the first role reversal of marriage seen in the Bible, and we see it all the time today in marriages. 
God created the man. He said, I want you to be the loving spiritual leader of your home. He created Eve from his rib to be beside her, to be a teammate to her. As I said last week, he didn't put her in front to lead the man. He didn't put her behind to be denigrated. He put her beside, but, but, he, but he asked the man to be the loving spiritual leader of his home and Eve to follow along and be teammates and co-laborers together. And here Satan questioning God's word, changing God's word, tempting Eve. She takes the fruit and he stands there doing absolutely nothing. The Puritans have a saying, it goes like this, while Adam was away, Eve fell astray. Well, that's really cute, but that's not biblical. He was right there with her. Adam, who was supposed to be the provider, the protector, the loving leader, I would challenge that Adam sinned first in the fact that he did not step up to his spiritual God-given role that God placed him in. Is that fair? And we see men today do the same thing all the time. They don't step in to the loving leadership, providing, protector role that God has called them to. And either they allow their wife to lead instead of taking their role, or they allow her to take it because she wants to take it. And she forces it in there. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. We'll see that in the second half of this. Go down. I picked on the men a lot the last couple of weeks. We're equal opportunity offenders here. <laughs> Ladies, be ready next week, okay? Gets a little dicey. But Adam, if he would have stepped up into his role as spiritual leader, he could have stopped this whole thing of plunging mankind into sin. Here was the problem. He didn't fight the dragon. Women love a man that will fight the dragon. Amen, ladies? Women, wives, mothers, ladies want a man who's going to fight the dragon. What Adam should have done when this dragon creature came walking up and talking, as soon as he started talking and questioning God's word, Adam said, said excuse me, just a second, who do, they who do you think you are? Listen, we follow God. We trust God. He made us. He created us. Look at this perfect environment that He's given to us to live in. He's a good God. He's a great God. He's a perfect God. Everything is great. And what you said is a lie. That is not true. That is not what God said. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You get out of here. That's what He should have done. But He didn't. He became passive. And listen, men, our wives and families need us as men to fight the dragon. Be willing to stand up, lovingly lead and protect and stand for God's word. You know what? We ought to have more men signed up for discipleship than we do women because ultimately it's our responsibility. But many times when we look at discipleship, it's two to one ladies over men. Most churches will tell you, you know, there's 65 to 70% ladies to men. Now thank God for all you men that are here today. So I'm not picking on you, I'm picking on the ones that aren't here, okay? But, but so many times we see all the ladies being the spiritual leaders. And praise God that ladies are willing to be spiritual leaders. But God intended for us as men to take that lead and to stand up for God's word and fight for our family. And Adam blew it. And he dropped the ball. And then look what happens. They eat of the fruit. He eats of the fruit. They disobey, directly disobey God. Verse 7. Then the eyes of them both were opened, just like God said, and they knew that they were what? They knew they were naked. I mean, last week, they're naked without shame. Everything's great. Now they're naked with shame because they've sinned. They've disobeyed God. The innocence is gone. And you see, church, sin always produces shame 
It always produces guilt, regret, fear. God doesn't want us to experience those things, but sin always produces those things. And God knew that would happen. And then verse 7, the second part, it says this. After they were ashamed and guilty and their innocence was gone, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You know what they did? They tried to cover their sin themselves. That's, that's what it says here. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves. Everybody say themselves. They made themselves coverings. They realized we've sinned, we've disobeyed God, we've got to do something about this. And so they decided we're going to be the first clothes designers. We're going to make some Tommy Hill figures. And so they made, I thought that was kind of cute. And so they, they put, they make these fig leaf clothes. And as you're going to see in a moment, God does not like their designs. He is not impressed by them in the least. And he will not accept their designs. He's got a better design. And this is the first, this is, this is huge, church. This is the first time in the Bible where you see religion show up. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. And they sin and they disobey God. And what they do is they try to fix it themselves. They work they put the fig leaves together. They try to cover their sin. And yet we know the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of what, church? Not of works, lest anybody should boast about it. And yet 98%, 98% of all the religions of the world today will tell you, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to spend uh, eternity with God, if you want to go to heaven, then here's your list of do's and don'ts. Go to work. Hope you make it. Good luck. And yet we see right here in the garden, Adam and Eve doing the same thing, trying to fix it themselves. And we're going to see next week, God does not accept us trying to fix our problems. Amen? He's got a way to fix it that's different. And verse 8, watch what happens. They, they, they make these coverings. They make these fig leaf clothes. And verse 8 says, And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. In the cool of the day. I really like how the old King James says it. Because it says they heard the voice of the Lord. They heard the word of God. You ever, have you ever seen a word walk? No. Unless it's the word of God. This is what theologians call a Christophany. Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate state. Walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. I believe that's who they had fellowship with. And he was walking. He had taken the stroll with them many, many evenings. And he shows up again to, to fellowship with Adam and Eve. And they hear him walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife ran to him. They were so happy to see him. They gave him a big hug. Nope. And Adam and Eve, this time, for the first time, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves from their heavenly father. You know, it's kind of like kids. You know, parents, you know, kids, they'll be up upstairs, you know, and they'll be in the room playing, doing something, and they hear mom and dad coming upstairs like, hey, oh, get the peanut butter out of yours. Hide the matches. They know they're doing something wrong. And they hear God coming, and they're like, we better hide. Here's a tree. Now, let me just ask you guys. Does this seem foolish to anyone that Adam and Eve would try to hide from God? <laughs> like he's going, where are those two? Man, they're really good at this hide and seek game. Where, where are they at? 
You know, they're just like a little kid. I was, I was sharing this message with some of our staff, and uh, Jared, our student director, goes, oh, Carson did that just the other day, and we took a picture of it. He, he, got a, he wasn't supposed to have a cookie, and he, and he got a cookie, and so he went in a corner, and he tried to hide behind a lamp so he wouldn't see. There's a picture. <laughs> he thought, if I hide behind this lamp in the corner, they won't see me getting the cookie. And Mom took a picture of it. That's how I see Adam and Eve trying to hide from God. Oh, he won't see us behind this tree, you know, or over here, you know. My kids are teenagers now. I get in trouble when I use them in, in sermon illustrations. So now I'm going to use my other staff's young children in sermons illustrations. That's awesome. Thank you, Jared, Vanessa. I appreciate that. Here's the deal. When we sin, we get dumb. Can I have a yes? We, we sin, we get dumb. Just watch cops. Watch the news. Adam and Eve sin, the innocence is gone, and they're acting stupid. We're going to hide from God. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, what they should have done was run to God. Run into his arms. Repent. Confess. You think God would have accepted that? Absolutely he would have. But instead, they try to hide it, cover it themselves, make it right, and they hide from God. And you know, we laugh. And Adam and Eve, I laugh at him. You're going to really laugh at him in a second. We laugh at Adam, we laugh at Eve, but listen, church, we are all Adam and Eve. We sin, and what do we do? Well, I'm going I'm to try to hide this from God. I'm going to try to keep this from God. I'm going to try to cover it. I'm going to try to fix it myself. When what we should do is run as fast as we can in the loving, gracious, merciful arms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we should do. I love the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I mean, you got a son that screwed up in every which way, but when he finally decided to come home, it says that his father was standing out watching, and his father saw him first afar off because he was watching and waiting. And when he came home, did he chastise him? Did he discipline him? No, he loved him. He accepted him. He, he, he forgave him. Were there some consequences? Yes, but the love and the grace and the mercy were there. And that whole story Jesus told to help us get a better picture of our Heavenly Father when we mess up. I need that picture, amen? We need that picture. So we see the strategy of Satan. We see the tragedy of what Adam and Eve did. And then finally this morning, we see the discovery. And we'll close with this, the discovery of their sin when God discovers what they have done, which he already knows. In verse 9, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Now, notice, who, who, who ate of the fruit first? Eve. Who did God call to first? Adam. There you go. There's another example. He's calling to Adam because he holds him responsible. He holds him accountable. He is the, supposed to be the spiritual leader of his home, and that's why he calls for Adam. Many, God is always going to hold us responsible. And what does he say? Where are you? Everybody say that. Where are you? are you now when God asked that question Adam where are you obviously that was a rhetorical question think about it it's God he knows where he's at he's wanting to know where are you at spiritually Adam what have you done Adam where are you in your relationship with your wife where are you in your relationship with me and then God has a, a series of questions for Adam like a good parent, he's got a lot of questions. And he says, where are you? And so, verse 10, 
So he said, Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I was, I was ashamed. I felt fear. I felt guilt because of my sin. And he said, who told you you were naked? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of see Homer Simpson right here go, Doo! you know, who told you you were naked, Adam? Doo! I mean, he is busted. He is caught. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man, Adam, said, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. The woman, the woman, it's her fault. It's the woman. I mean, Adam's like, one minute we're naked, I'm singing her songs, we're happy, she's cooking up fruit to order. The next minute she's hiding from me, she's running, she's putting on clothes, and she's cooking up forbidden fruit. Not what I ordered. Not what I ordered. God, I am a victim. I, I think I need therapy. I might need some government assistance. Uh-huh. That's what he's doing. He's like, I'm blaming her. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, that he's going to blame Eve, he goes on. And Adam said, the woman whom you gave me. You talk about having a pair. I mean, I cannot believe this guy. Now he's blaming God. I mean, this was B.C., before cups, okay? And he's, he's like, it's her fault, and God, you gave her to me. Just like a man, right, ladies? You're just coming next week, okay? Now, verse 13. I might get some emails about that one. And the Lord God said to the woman, Eve, what is this that you have done? And the woman said... I'm so sorry, God, I've sinned, I've messed up. Is that what she did? Nope. The woman said, oh, wait a minute. It's the serpent that deceived me. This is the first, the devil made me do it. I mean, everybody is blaming somebody else. Adam's blaming Eve. He's blaming God. Eve's blaming the serpent. I mean, it's the blame game. And has things changed in human history? Nope. People today want to blame everybody but themselves for their decisions and their sin. People blame God today. Well, if you hear this, if God is such a loving and gracious and perfect and wonderful God, then why is there evil in the world? Why does he allow it to happen? Because of a choice that man made. It's not God's fault. It's man's fault. None of that would happen if, if, God, if Adam and Eve had messed up. People today, you know, in marriage, you know, why is your marriage... Falling apart, what's the problem? Well, it's my spouse's fault. God gave me the wrong wife. God gave me the wrong husband. You know, it, it, it's, it's their fault. It's God's fault. You know, man, that Satan, he's so powerful. I just continue to sin. He just, he, the devil makes me do it all the time. And we blame. You know, kids blame their parents. Well, if I was raised differently, you know, and everybody blame. We're all victims. Y'all, I still believe that Philippians 4.13 is true. That we can do all things through Christ which gives us strength. We do not have to live as victims. Amen? Do not buy that lie. You know, we have a great ministry that we just started uh, last spring here at Orchard Church called Celebrate Recovery. 
And we had a whole group go through that. You're going to hear some testimonies in the fall. We're going to kick it off again. I, I had the privilege of going to their graduation and hearing every individual life change story. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, it was just amazing to hear these life-changing stories and one of the themes that kind of ran throughout Celebrate Recovery is no matter what has happened in my past I am not a victim I am victorious through Jesus Christ and that's what more of us need to understand and grab onto we don't need to blame we don't need to justify we don't need to excuse listen church that never fixes anything don't let your past define you let Jesus Christ define you you know, when was the last time you heard a criminal or a politician get up and go, I'm a wicked sinner, I did it. When was the last time you heard that? You don't hear that. It's my fault. But if they would say that, God can work with that, amen? God can work with that. But that would take humility, the opposite of pride. I love this verse, 1 Peter 5, 5. It says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. One of my spiritual mentors used to say it this way. He said, you know, when, you, when you're prideful and you don't want God's help and you want to try to fix it and do it yourself, God resists the proud. He gives you the football stiff arm. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He embraces and gives grace and mercy to the humble. Adam and Eve could experience that if they'd have ran to God instead of from God. So can we. So we see the strategy. We see the tragedy. We see the discovery. Now God has a decision. What is he going to do? How's he going to punish? How's he going to fix this? You don't want to miss it next week. These are some of the best verses in the Bible as we see the penalty and then the recovery of God's plan. But as we close this morning, listen to this. Just like Jesus came in the garden looking for Adam and Eve, when we screw up and when we mess up and we're hurting, we sang about it this morning, not for a moment, will he forsake us? Just like he came looking for them, do you believe, church, that he still comes looking for us? I said, church, do you still believe he comes looking for us? Yes. I hope more than three of you believe that. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And even when you sin, and even when you screw up, and even when you disobey me, and even when you blow it big time, like many of us have done time and time again, he says, I will come looking for you. I will offer you forgiveness, I'll offer you mercy, I'll offer you grace, I'll offer you unconditional love. Jesus said it this way in Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man, Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Aren't you thankful for that verse? And maybe for some of you this morning, you're here, but you know spiritually you've been running from God. You're here, but you know spiritually you've been trying to hide from God. You've been trying to cover some things. He knows anyway. Don't run from him, run to him. He is asking many of you today, all of us today, this question. The same question he asked Adam in the garden. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you today in your relationship with God? Not, not where were you a month ago? Not where were you 10 years ago? Not where were you when you grew up? Where are you today? Are you where God wants you to be? If you're not, run. Run into his arms, into his embrace, into his grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's looking for you. Would you bow your heads this morning? With heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning 
and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's time to stop running from Jesus and run to Jesus. Invite him into your life. Run to him. Accept, accept his mercy, grace, love, and forgiveness. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you're here today, you'd say, you know what? I've never received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'm ready to do that. I'm tired of running from him. I want to run to him. And I want to have his forgiveness, no matter what you've done. He died on the cross to forgive you for all your sins, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, the Bible says. There's nothing you've done that can keep you from God if you'll just humbly accept his love and grace and forgiveness. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd say, you know what? I'm ready to run to Jesus. I'm tired of running from him. I need to accept him as my Lord and Savior in my life. Let me lead you in a prayer of faith. It's not the prayer, it's not the words you say, but it's the faith from where it comes from where you can invite Jesus into your life. If you're ready to make that decision today, pray this from your heart to God's by faith. It goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that Satan is a liar. But I believe in you. I know I've sinned. I know I've messed up. But I know you died on the cross for me. And today, I run to you Jesus I invite you into my life Jesus by faith I ask you to be my personal Lord and Savior forgive me for my sins be my father thank you Jesus for forgiving me thank you for allowing me to be a part of your family thank you for your mercy and grace and with heads bowed and eyes because I don't want to embarrass anybody but if you just prayed that prayer of faith would you just slip up your hand so I can see it no one else looking around? Because I want to pray for you and your new walk with Christ. Would you just slip up your hand? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. God bless you, man. Thank you. Anyone else? Just by raising your hand, say, yes, I prayed that prayer of faith between me and God. And I really meant it. I really did. Anyone else? Just slip up your hand and put it down. Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith today for the first time. Thank you. Anyone else? And I meant it. Anyone else? Father, I, pray, I thank you for those today who stopped running from you and who run to you in faith in salvation and forgiveness of sins. I pray that their life would never be the same. I pray they grow closer in their relationship with you and your word in the days ahead. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to talk to all the believers here this morning. You know there was a time in your life you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you know that there are still times, maybe even now, that you find yourself hiding from God, running from God. And he's asking you today, where are you? And you're tired of the guilt you still sometimes feel. You're tired of the shame. You're tired of the conviction. You know God sees. And you know it's time to run back to Him. You're, you're, you're time, it's time to make it right. If that's you, Christian, would you raise your hand for prayer this morning all across this auditorium? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands are everywhere. Thank you. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what? I find myself at times in my life trying to be my own God trying to fix things myself and do things myself and create my own way and self-actualize my potential. It's, it's time for me to wait on God and wait on His timing and trust Him and His path for my life. And I know that. And would you pray for me, Pastor Doug, that I would, I would do that. I would trust Him more. I would be patient and wait on His timing for my life. Would you raise your hands all across the auditorium, hands in every section. Thank you. God bless you. And I touched on this. One more thing, Christians, that I want to pray for. Maybe there's some marriages here today and you'd say, you know what? What you described of Adam and Eve and that role reversal, that's our marriage. Maybe you're a wife that you're trying to dominate and take charge. And maybe it's because your husband's not. But we'll talk about that next week. God still has a role that he wants you to fulfill. And he'll hold your husband accountable. Maybe you're a husband and you know you're being passive. You're not taking the spiritual lead. 
You're like Adam. You're standing there. You're just watching some things happen. You're not fighting the dragon. And you know that it's time that you step up and be a man and be a man of God. And as a husband or wife, if God spoke to you in some way about your role this morning, can I pray for you? Would you slip up your hands across the auditorium? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Several hands. Father, I pray that we would take this message to heart, that we would be doers of your word and not just hearers. I pray, God, that we would follow your path for our life and experience fulfillment and fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. I, I pray, God, that when we mess up and we sin, that we would not run from you, but we would run to you. That we would claim your word that says if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just forgiveness and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and we would accept that. I pray that we would wait for your timing. Lord, it's so easy sometimes to take matters in our own hands and run ahead of you and try to make our own way and be our own God. Forgive us for that, God. Help us to wait on you and trust you. And Lord, help us to fulfill the marital roles that you have designed us to fulfill for your honor and for your glory. And we thank you for your goodness and thank you for the salvation of many this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.